Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Edit audio. Hello and welcome to Confessions, a podcast by Cosmo where your secrets are safe with us. My name is Mia Lardier and today I am joined by my guest co-host, Cosmo's deputy editor, Alexandra Whitaker. Hi, Alexandra. Hi. Thank you so much for having me, Mia. Thank you for coming on. So in this podcast, we respond to anonymous confessions with help from a guest expert to try and give some advice. Before we get into this week's confession, do you have something that you want to confess? I do have a confession to yeah? share. Okay, yes, amazing. I do. So I have a two-year-old fuzzy cat named Otis. He's Otis. a gray guy. I dress him in bow ties, so he's very dapper. Yeah. He's a sweetheart, too. So he follows me around the house, like yeah. very, very warm personality. And we've gotten into this rhythm lately where when we go to sleep, because uh-huh. we have the same bedtime routine, of sure, course, yes. <laughs> he has been like making me snuggle him like a stuffed animal almost, Aww. which is the cutest so thing cute. in the entire world. So yeah. he's like shoving his head in my armpit yeah. and bear hugging my arm and it's Aww. great but i can't sleep at all oh, when this yeah. happens yeah so you're stuck i'm stuck and so it was a few nights of this happening before i decided to change things up my confession is that i've been tricking my cat with a teddy bear um so he falls asleep in my arms and then i like get out from Gently under him, him and move him into like a teddy bear's, like one of those anxiety Aww. teddy yeah, bears that yeah, they have yeah. kind of weight to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And then turning over and going to sleep yeah. before he notices. Yeah. So he has not yet caught me right. in the act of this. Um, right. I feel bad tricking a small, cute animal, but um, right. I hope that uh, he would understand that you need sleep. That yeah. I do, in fact, need sleep yeah, occasionally. Yeah. Yes. Oh my God. So he just like dozes off and you wake. Does he notice in the morning when he, he wakes up that there's a teddy bear there? He rolls just... over in the morning yeah. and then I just scoop him back up. Yeah. So, so it, the problem changed. solves itself. Yes. Yeah. Well, good luck to your cat. Thank you. <laughs> so let's get into today's confession. A friendship breakup can hurt more than a romantic breakup, especially when you don't see it coming. Today's listener is looking for closure after a friendship ended unexpectedly following a devastating moment in her friend's life. Heads up, this episode contains discussion of suicide. If you or a loved one are struggling, the Suicide in Crisis Lifeline is 988. Okay, confessions robot, let's hear it. I'm having trouble working through a friendship breakup that I never saw coming. Some background. My friend's dad died by suicide a few years ago, and I supported her through it. She shared with me some details about what happened that I don't believe she shared with other friends. 
I would come to find out that being the only friend who knew such intimate information was a double-edged sword that would bring us closer, but eventually cut me out in the long run. Slowly, she stopped answering my texts and calls. I was confused since we had been friends for more than a decade at that point. Then my feelings transitioned to anger and outrage. How could she delete me from her life like this? For several years, I continued to try to contact her to no avail. In my mind, I concluded that she found it hard to face me, knowing that I knew what really happened to her dad. A year ago, I would have asked you, what can I do to repair this friendship? What's the best way to approach someone I knew like a sister? But now, it seems more clear to me that our friendship is over for good, and I'd like advice on how to move on. I still think about her all the time and even have dreams about her. Dr. Jesse Gold is an assistant professor and the director of wellness, engagement, and outreach in the Department of Psychiatry at Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis. She is a nationally recognized expert on healthcare worker mental health and burnout, college mental health, using social media for mental health advocacy, and the overlap between pop culture and mental health. She works clinically as an outpatient psychiatrist. Dr. Gold also writes for the popular press and has been featured in, among others, The New York Times, The Atlantic, InStyle, and The Washington Post. Hi, Dr. Gold. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. We have a lot to unpack here in this confession. So let's try it first to understand our listeners' friends' perspective. It's, you know, a very unthinkable position to be in. Um, So what are the usual stages, usual in quotation marks, of grief that play out differently when you lose someone by suicide versus other forms of death? You know, I would say there's no usual form of grief ever. Mm -hmm. I think we want to say that there is and want to go through that sort of stages that people talk about with like anger and acceptance Mm -hmm. at the end and hope that it's this pretty thing where all of us go through those stages in a linear fashion and we can follow them and chart it and be great. Right. But for the most part, it just doesn't work like that for anything, for anyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Suicide in particular is challenging because it's sudden usually. Yeah. Sometimes Mm -hmm. there are no signs that you think you've seen, even if there are signs, it's a very complicated thing mental health wise for like what leads to somebody dying by suicide. So Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of like guilt that comes with suicide and a lot of like what ifs. And I think that's part of, you know, our conceptualization of mental illness in general, where we think we could maybe have helped someone if they called us and we don't necessarily think about it as like, a mental illness that like was inevitable in some capacity. So right, I think right. we put a lot of blame and guilt and shame on ourselves. And then I think there's shame to it too of like, who should know? Why do I want to tell people? What will people think of us if they know? It's, right. a, it's a hard thing because it's just not common to talk about mental health in general, let alone something like that. And so right. it feels like a thing that many people might not understand and probably something you feel hesitant to share in general because you're still really processing yourself, if that makes sense. Yeah. And even if you you knew someone who died by suicide or a friend of someone who knew by suicide, those two circumstances are usually probably very different. You can't even compare and say, oh, you know, they went through the same thing because it's not the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I think everything is different with grief, like how different people process it is so different, like the same mm-hmm. situation in a family member, like it could look different to her sister versus her mother right. versus an uncle or aunt, right? Like everybody might process things differently in how emotions look and how long it takes and what that looks like physically and mentally. And so like 
I wish I could say, you know, when something happens, this is what it will look like. But uh, nothing with mental health is like that perfect, Mm -hmm. let alone like grief, which is a really complex emotion, especially when it comes to something like this. Yeah. I think you bring up just such an important point, too, when it comes to vocalizing like the shame around all of this. Folks grieving suicide can experience a lot of shame, especially just in our culture that stigmatizes mental illness so much. And so can you talk a little bit about how this can come into play in a scenario like this and how it might influence someone to maybe conceal information about a loved one's death? I mean, I think shame in general is this emotion we don't talk about enough, but should, mm-hmm. and a lot of us feel. Um, you know, with mental health issues, it's part of the reason people wait and wait and wait to get help. And then when they finally do, mm-hmm. they can often be quite sick because they yeah. just don't like what people might think about them if they knew. And right. a lot of that comes from media and people's just kind of cultural beliefs about mental health in general. And so I think because we don't openly talk about suicide in a way that feels just like normal and like a lot of people have thoughts and this is a common thing that people encounter, it feels like a very, I hate to use the word extreme, but I think that's what it feels like when people hear about something like that. Mm -hmm. Like they almost don't know what to say or how to deal with it or what's the right way to act, et cetera. And so I think when you're a person who's dealing with that as a family, you're already dealing with like, I can't believe this happened. How do I deal with this myself? What will people think is probably a very common quick reaction. And I think a lot of that goes to shame. And so you end up kind of processing this as like, wait, I don't know if I want to tell people because what will they think about me? What will they think about our family? What Mm, will they think about my loved one that died? And you love that person. And so you Mm -hmm. don't want them to have these feelings that you haven't even quite figured out how you feel about it. And so I think it makes people hide some of their truth just because they're afraid of that like added layer of how other people view them, you know, which is kind of common in our society with everything in general. But like if you haven't figured out how you feel about something, having like this added layer of everyone else's opinion about it makes it that much harder. So I think a lot of times people will choose to kind of keep it to themselves for a while to figure it out. Or if they Mm -hmm. tell there's a vulnerability to that that's like much higher than you even realize because you didn't yeah. know who you were telling, what you were telling. Sometimes you just do that in an emotional kind of storm and you yeah. say something and you weren't really actually ready to process that with somebody else. And that vulnerability can be hard and challenging to kind of like then cope with later and like, right. you know, what do they think now that they know? And and there's this added layer where even if somebody tells you something and you like really trust your friend and loved one, yeah and they've been really supportive, you might still think like, but what are they saying behind my back? Or what are they saying to themselves about it? Yeah, it's like a very added fierce layer of protection over the person who who has departed too, because it's, you know, Mm -hmm. you want to protect their memory, you want to protect your memories of them and the person that you believe them to be. It's, It's a very vulnerable place to be. And I think that, you know, grief and grieving take many different shapes. Um, for our listeners who maybe haven't experienced deep grief, can you explain how quickly your emotions can shift as you move through the grief of losing someone? 
Yeah. I mean, grief is one of those things that's just completely nonlinear and can Mm -hmm. come out of nowhere. Like you might actually be fine right at the beginning and think you're okay, but that's just like some form of denial that's kind of early stage. Like you're Mm -hmm. like just, you need to go through the motions. You need to have a funeral. You need to talk at the funeral. Like whatever that is, you have to like do a lot of stuff at the beginning. And sometimes that can be like you're not dealing with it because you're having to do so much. And like when you finally sit and deal with it, it could be years, honestly. Right. Like something could trigger it out of nowhere. Like you're watching a movie, that movie was something you liked with that person and you all of a sudden are really sad or angry or something and you don't understand that. And a lot of times if like you linearly trace that back somewhere, you would find that that's what that's coming from, right? But like in the moment, it just feels like it came out of nowhere and you don't understand it and like you're frustrated that you still have feelings or that yeah. it's still affecting you. And like there's no such thing as still There's also Mm -hmm. no such thing as like, this is the way you should grieve. This is the way it should be for everybody. I mean, it would be nice if there was a pretty package of that. But like for most people, it comes out of nowhere. It's a lot longer than you want it to be. It's Mm -hmm. really Mm -hmm. impacting your life in ways that maybe you didn't notice. And it's important that you just are nice to yourself about it. right? Like I think we beat ourselves up a lot when we don't feel like we're doing what we should be doing or we're not grieving in the way that people want us to or yeah. we're not like going back to work fast enough or like interacting with our friends in the way we want to and I think you just have to be kinder to yourself about it mm-hmm. because there's just no perfect way to do it and there's no way to say like this is right or wrong and so you just have to be like okay this is how I'm grieving this is how I'm feeling and mm-hmm. whatever feelings that brings up like it could be anger it could be sadness yeah. it could be some sort of denial it could be nothing right like yeah. a lot of people feel like this sort of numbness feeling where they want to feel more and then they're mad at themselves for not feeling mm-hmm. enough like whatever yeah. those feelings are like cool have right. them be okay right. with it let them be don't judge yourself for it there's not like good feelings of grief and bad feelings of grief there's just feelings you know yeah I yeah. think that's important too to not put it in a box of good and bad either Mm -hmm. way and also very challenging too for somebody in that position but the feelings that we're talking about here are enormous right like anger and despair how can the big emotions that come with grief impact our personal relationships yeah i think we learn that good or bad judgment from somebody when we're kids or something Mm -hmm. right like they tell us which which emotions we're allowed to have and a lot of that is in some sort of happiness spectrum and like Mm -hmm. it's just unrealistic in so many ways but we learn like when you feel like something bad happens you should be able to stop crying quickly and be okay right whatever they tell us as kids and so we start to like learn that and that tells you like big big emotions that interfere are too much or Mm -hmm. people can't handle you or you know that's not appropriate and so I think you worry that like when you feel big big things that like you're gonna scare the people around you away Mm -hmm. especially our closest relationships I think because we're so kind of like protective of those and so we're like if I have these big feelings is there a chance that like that amount of vulnerability and emotion will scare that loved one away from me because they right. can't handle it. Mm-hmm. it. It just is this fear, I think, that comes with any vulnerability, let alone like big, big emotions. I also think like we take out some of that on our loved ones even when we don't realize it, right? Like mm. we might be quicker to snap at somebody or to like cut off or isolate in ways that we don't mean to or like mm-hmm. aren't yeah. even consciously doing, but it's just those people – 
know us really well and can often tell when we're struggling. And sometimes we don't want to talk about the fact that we're struggling. Right. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so if you are around those people who like won't let you do that, you know, and they will yeah. call you on that and say like, hey, there's no way you're okay. Or yeah. like you are screaming at me. That's not like you, whatever it is. Sometimes we avoid those people because we mm. don't want to be called on. Them. Yeah. And like we don't want to have real conversations. We just want to like avoid it. Yeah. And right. so I think we sometimes will snap at those people or like disrupt those relationships in ways that we don't necessarily mean to because we're trying to avoid sort of like being seen so much. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. It's easier to, you know, try and find a shadow to kind of play out all of these emotions by yourself and then work it out with others. And I think that for a lot of people too, you know, if you feel like you're grieving too long, like we were talking about earlier, if you feel like this is not ending as quickly as I want it to, perhaps you feel like a burden too to the other people, even if they haven't said that. And that's really tricky. Yeah, that feeling of a burden is hard. And we kind of put that on ourselves and just assume it's true, even if we checked in with someone, because yeah. we actually, I think, are feeling like a burden to ourselves, like yeah. how much we're feeling has felt burdensome to us. And so we can't imagine if like we were that person to someone else, what that would feel like. We just imagine that that other person yeah. can't right. handle it. And I think we put a lot of beliefs into our head about what uh, someone else is thinking or feeling or doing and don't mm -hmm. necessarily like check out loud because that's not something anyone taught us to do. And yeah. so, you know, and we think if we did check, they're going to lie anyway. And right, so, right. you know, mm -hmm. I think that makes it hard that like burdensome feeling also happens in family interactions too with this stuff is just like, well, my mom has more grief over this. So I don't want to tell her how I'm feeling because then she'll feel like she needs to take care of me. Right. But I need to take care of her. And it's like this whole layer of like, I don't know, a burden Olympics and like yeah. who deserves yeah. to feel more and who needs to be the one who's like expressing stuff at any one point. And that's just like not fair or possible yeah. in any mm -hmm. way. It'd be nice if it could be, but it's just <laughs> yeah. nothing works out like that. Let's shift over to our listener now for a second, who is the friend who was trying to help her friend. This is a very raw and sensitive situation to be in as well. Um, and I can imagine that she was rocked by this information and had to carefully think about how to support a friend. So how do you how do you see her perspective on the other side? Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to be a friend in these situations. And probably you don't get enough credit for it because you're not asking for it. Like you right. don't think you deserve it. And so why would you? And so you just kind of are doing what you usually do, which is be a friend. And that just happens to be a very vulnerable situation to be a, a friend during, right? right. Yeah. And I think sometimes that degree of sort of bonding over something that's really hard can also be challenging if somebody wants to avoid it again, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like there's a desire to like run and avoid and numb and all of that with these big feelings. And if like you know that a friendship has been supportive and helpful and knows all the truths, um, there's also this fear that like that's what that relationship has to be. Yeah. But nobody said that, right? Like right, nobody right, said, yeah, can right. we only talk about this all the time now that you know? Or, you know, like if you said to your friend, like, I just want to go to the movies and not talk about this, I think yeah. your friend would be like, okay, cool. Like, no problem. Yeah. But I think we just assume that when, when they know, they know. Yeah. And that degree of vulnerability is really, really hard for people, especially in certain stages of just kind of wanting to not have that. Yeah. But I imagine being a friend in that situation had a lot of feelings associated with it, especially if 
she knew the family member too, right? right? Like, right. And then there's this like, I don't even have the ability to have feelings about this because it's not about me. And right. that feeling is also really hard and we do that yeah. to ourselves a lot. So like I'm a psychiatrist obviously and I see healthcare workers as one of the patient groups I see and they often have the same thing which is like they grieve for their patients. Right. But right. they don't feel like they're supposed to because they're not a family member and they're not a friend. Like mm-hmm. their relationship to that person is not the same degree. And so they're like have this weird grief where yeah. it feels like – undiscussed and not okay and that yeah. like lingers in ways that you don't realize I think yeah that's a lot to have going on in your head if you're the friend in this case too like wanting to be there for your friend wanting to be able to step up in this way um, you mentioned sometimes people are prepared to take on that kind of role and sometimes they're not what are some things to kind of reflect on internally if you're preparing to support a loved one grieving a suicide That's a hard question. I Mm -hmm. think there's no way to fully prepare, right? Mm -hmm, I think that if you're friends with someone, you're in a position where you might be talked to and that's just the way that it is. And it might be in a situation that doesn't feel as prepared as it could be, right? Because somebody might choose to tell you in in an emotional state and you didn't know and you didn't expect it and there's not much you can do. But I think as a friend, what's important to know is like, the way we react when someone discloses a trauma, any trauma, can actually traumatize someone more if mm. we like deny it or try mm-hmm. to support it or try to ignore it in a way that feels like hurtful, right? So like we often hear about this with other forms of trauma and people saying like, well, did you say no? Or what were you wearing? Right. Or right, these kind of things that you maybe are trying to like learn more or get more data, but what the person hears is like, I'm going to invalidate your experience, right? Right, And so what you want to just do is no matter what in these situations, like do your best to like not say much, to like Mm -hmm. emphasize the emotions behind it and not make a judgment, not say something that you might regret later. Like just, it looks like this is really something you need to talk about. You look really sad. Can I support you? How can I support you? These kind of just kind of like, bigger statements where you're listening and supporting the emotion behind it without having any chance to kind of like tiptoe in judgment, I think is helpful. Um, Knowing that this stuff can affect you emotionally is also important. So like Mm -hmm. in the moment, you're not going to be like, (laughs) pause, I can't handle this. Bye. Right. Right, Like that's just not what a friend does. Like, I mean, it'd be really nice if we were allowed to do like real time (laughs) boundaries like that and it wouldn't ruin relationships, but it's just not possible. So like, Mm -hmm. you know, notice that like, afterwards you might have your own emotions and like don't dismiss them feel them get help for them if you need to do things you need to to cope if you want like realize that you have to take care of your own mental health in these situations and not just rely on supporting the other person because ultimately that's like important and you need to do that because you care about your friend and you value friendships but taking care of yourself makes you better able to take care of your friend you know right so how can you be there for a friend in this situation, especially one that you've known over the past decade as this listener did? Yeah, I mean, I think that you have to let the person tell you what they need. It's yeah. hard because they don't know what they need. So you want to start with like just checking in and showing up, right? Yeah. So like that might not be that they're ready to talk. That might not be that they even want to talk. That might be that your job is like bringing them food or going to do something distracting with them, right? Whatever that is. 
It's like showing up and regularly. So I think a lot of people show up at the beginning, but not a lot of people show up like a year or two later. Right. So you want to be the person who's regularly checking in and not stopping and not just going, well, it's been a year. They're probably fine. Right. Keeping in mind that death anniversaries, birthdays, Father's Day, these kind of things are going to be triggers too. And so, yeah, you know, doing your best to be there and be there regularly, Um, Mm -hmm. asking your friend what would be helpful if they're able to tell you, trying not to make it about you in any way. You know, even if you're struggling to like kind of keep it to yourself if you can. It's mm-hmm. it's not to minimize what you're experiencing, but it's just to not cause an additional kind of tension with your friendship. Talk to someone else about that, right? Yeah. Like talk to a yeah. therapist, talk to a different friend who's not related to the situation, whatever right. you need to do, but like process your own stuff, but try to keep it out of the relationship as much as possible. Try not to be like, well, this happened to me. I think we do that because we want to have empathy in that way. But like Mm -hmm. most things feel different to different people. So sometimes when you do that stuff, like it minimizes what the person's experiencing or they just want to be like, well, that wasn't my situation, right? Right. You don't want to do that if possible. I think doing things with the people is also nice. Like sometimes people like don't want to talk, they would like to go for like a walk or an activity or a thing. So like planning things and trying to get them out of the house to do stuff and kind of ignore how they're feeling can be nice sometimes. Um, I think all of that can be helpful as a friend. You know, if it ends up where you're like worried about the mental health of your friend, like having open conversations about that or, you know, supporting them in helping them get care can be helpful. So like when you're really anxious or sad it's really hard to call like 10 therapists and leave messages like it's just really stressful and so you can always ask your friend if like you know you helping call would be of a benefit to them and like that kind of thing can be really beneficial not if you do it without asking because then you just look like you're like so so interrupting and like stepping in where you don't need to but if you ask and you help in that way, I think it can be really supportive and take a big burden off of them if they feel like talking to someone and processing with somebody would be helpful. Yeah. I appreciate how actionable these tips are. Thank Mm -hmm. you for that. I think that it can be difficult to know what to do in a situation like this. And Mm -hmm. and this is a, a good blueprint. But bringing it back to our listener, you know, it sounds like they did check in fairly often. Do you think our listener did the right thing by continuing to reach out despite not getting much response. Oh, it's so hard. We never know what the other person's thinking. Yeah. There's this like desire to know and and you try, try so hard, but it's like any breakup, right? Like I don't think we talk about friend breakups in the same sense as romantic ones and we should yeah. mm, because yeah. when you have a romantic breakup, you don't always get an answer, right? right. Like, you don't always know. You want to know and you'll spend nights and dreams and all of that thinking about it, like what you did, what you could do differently, what it might have been, but like you don't have an answer. And that feeling sounds like it came up a lot here. And I think it's important to know that like it's a grief to lose a relationship too. And it's a breakup just like any other breakup when it feels like things are unknown and unresolved. And that feels so icky, like especially when you really care about someone to not have answers. And so you know, it's hard to know when at what point you stop checking in with someone and saying like, it's done. I think that's a personal thing. And like how it's affecting you and your own mental health. Like, 
at a certain point, you might say, I guess this is where I need to say no. And if they want to talk to me, they can find me and, you Mm -hmm. know, they know how to find me. But that kind of limit is something I think you end up having to set for yourself because it's affecting you too much to be constantly putting yourself out there without anything in response. And then the unknown of like, did they read it? Did they think about it? Right, Are they right, thinking about right. whatever? You know, the kind of stuff that goes through your head yeah. through all relationships. And so you kind of have to draw your own boundaries there, even though it feels uncomfortable to do that because you don't want to actually end the relationship, yeah. right? So like yeah. drawing a boundary when your decision is not that boundary feels horrible. But right. at a certain point when it's hurting you more than it's helping you and there's not a lot coming back, you have to protect yourself and you have to say, this isn't something I can do anymore for my own mental health. I need to now like grieve it and right. make a break and say like, okay, let's process that and feel better about that and move on from that, even though it feels horrible. Right. Yeah. It's like you're not even realizing that you're hurting yourself while you're digging the hole even deeper. You miss them, right? Yes, you like, miss and them, And it's yeah. fair. Like you miss them from what you knew before. You miss right. them from what you felt like, you know, connected in this very vulnerable kind of trauma bonded way yeah. with them where you felt really like they relied on you and you held them up. And that feeling of being like, wanted and supportive mm-hmm, yeah. is, is a whole nother layer where you're like friendship kind of grows in a way that feels like you couldn't imagine your life without that person because right. yeah. it's so close. But I think that makes it that much harder when these things happen and it feels like a break. I mean, I think it's important that people know that like the listener situation is a particular one, but this can happen sometimes with people like, let's say you were helpful through somebody's divorce or breakup Mm. and they relied on you through that and then they found a new partner and then they sort of like stopped talking to you and you feel like, wait, what? I I was just like the friend that you talk to every day and now you don't talk to me anymore. Like, what is that about? Do I remind them of that partner, right? Like whatever it is. Like yeah. you played a role, but your role was over in this yeah, situation right. yeah. and that feels horrible, right? right? And so I I don't know that people are intentionally doing that or consciously doing that, you know, with their friends, like saying, okay, bye, we're done. Right. This was like your purpose is expired. But I think that in a lot of ways, like that's how we view friendships at times. And as the person who was the support, who was needed and then is no longer needed or is ignored, whatever you want to call it, it just feels bad. And you're allowed to feel bad and and like realize that that was hurtful to you and there's not much to say other than that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really difficult that death is known to kind of change relationships sometimes no matter what the cause is. Why do you think that is? Is it the fact that it's such a vulnerable situation for all parties? Is it the fact that it can magnify either the flaws or, you know, benefits in relationships with others? I think it's just because a lot of times we have no experience dealing with like the situation or the emotions that come with it. And the way that we react is like not necessarily planned or perfect or, Mm -hmm. you know, we're just kind of going off of how we feel in the moment and what we're experiencing in the moment. And that sometimes can cause strains in relationships. I think also like we're barely hanging on ourselves. So like having to support someone else or feel like someone else needs to be in the picture to support us can feel hard. Like 
another burden, which is weird. But, you know, sometimes it's hard for us to see that, like, another person is actually helping us. And yeah, and, like, right. and we're like, oh, we have to do something with X, right? Instead of, yeah. like, that actually is making me feel better because it's hard to see that through how, how hard it feels. Yeah. And so I think that's part of it. I think with this kind of death, the shame part of it also makes it harder and mm-hmm. the... Um, sort of unknown experience of that for a lot of people and feeling like there's a normalization to it. Yeah. Like it's not it's not like your grandma and everybody's got a right. grandma who gets old and dies, right? Like right. that feels like a thing that everybody understands where this feels like a thing that very few people will understand. And in fact, most people will not and will judge it. Yeah. Knowing what we know about grief after this discussion, why do you think someone might close off after sharing intensely personal information when they're grieving? Oh, man. You know, I think a lot of it is probably not on purpose. Yeah. I would love to say that, like, we are so good at what we're doing emotionally that we can consciously be like, okay, like, that was good for that stage and I'm done with that person and bye, right? Like, we just right. don't do that. For the most part, it's some sort of unconscious thing where the stuff that we associate with that person is too hard. Like Mm -hmm. they helped us through a breakup. They helped us through a death. They helped us through a divorce. And like the idea of seeing them on the other side in happiness just doesn't make sense. Like Mm -hmm. even though like probably if you ask that person, they're delighted to see you on the other side and it would be helpful for them to see you on the other side because they held you through the hard emotions and they want to see you better, right? But for some reason, what like comes to be associated with them is like hard memories, hard feelings, hard times. And when you're either avoiding or trying to move on, that person sort of like personifies the challenge. Yeah. And somehow you just break away. And I don't know that it's always conscious. I think sometimes it can be. And when it is, it's often like not related. Like you just get mad about something and you think it's that, but it was probably something much deeper than that, right? But I think whatever that is, it's like this kind of separation of that memory and that time and an attempt to move on and sort of unnecessarily placing your friend within the context of that as opposed Mm -hmm. to realizing that they can like follow you and your emotional arc through it. Right. Right. Do you think that our listener's conclusion might be right, that her friend found it hard to face her after she learned the full truth about her dad? So we never know what people are thinking or feeling or doing, right? We always want to guess because it helps us understand things to have a rational reason behind something. Like it feels irrational but rational that somebody will say, I talked to you about all of this grief. You're the only one who knows. I don't want to deal with it or I'm done with it. And so I'm also done with you, right? Like that feels like an explanation we can hold on to and say Mm -hmm. makes sense. You know, it's not not possible, but I would also point out that like we don't know and there could be other things and there are all Mm -hmm, sorts of things that make friendships complicated and layers complicated. And, you know, that desire to know is the same desire you would have with any breakup and in a lot of ways like isn't helping you. Yeah, (laughs) Um, yeah. Like 
you know, it gives you some sort of explanation that might help you better kind of move on and grieve and stuff. But the thing you shouldn't be learning from this is like not to support someone from through their grief, right? right? Yeah. Like sometimes you could be like, well, I'm just never going to do that again. But what yeah. would you learn from that is like not to be a friend for someone when they're really struggling. And so what you should know is like that's possible. Sure. There could be other explanations, but it's not as much that the explanation matters as much as that friendship did to you and you need to grieve it and you need to figure out like why it was so hurtful and yeah. what it's triggering in you from the past or now that's like making you feel so hurt. And then you can better move on in your other relationships. I think it's hard to move on in other friendships when you have this stuff just like you would with any relationship because yeah. you're like, I don't know. I'm hesitant. I don't trust people. I don't want to be that person for someone right. because then yeah. I'm going to get hurt. And so you want to see how those patterns are playing out with your other friendships and your other relationships and be mindful of like trying to help there and help those grow without, you know, dwelling as much on the reasons why this happened in the past. As my personal therapist tells me, you never know what other people are thinking yeah. and you can only <laughs> deal with your own emotions. So right. Yeah. right. Yeah, that's so true. It does sound like our listener is going to have to maybe grieve this relationship without a direct goodbye. Um, how do you think they can still find closure at the end of the road? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of these things require time. So mm. nobody likes that answer because yeah. no one wants to wait. Yeah, right. But things take time. Like therapy takes time. All of these things yeah. take time. So don't beat yourself up if you still care. And it's been a really long time since you've talked to them. Or like it comes up out of nowhere. Like just like we were talking about with the grief for a family member who died. Like you're watching a movie. You're reading a book. You're doing something. And you're like, gosh, I miss that person. Like yeah. that's okay. Like say that out loud. Give yourself space to do that. Don't judge yourself for that. Don't judge yourself for how long it takes. You know, you can get closure over time in processing it. I think sometimes therapy is helpful in these situations because it helps you understand how it's affecting your other relationships. You can mm -hmm. process with another friend, especially if that other friend knows this person. That could be particularly helpful. Mm -hmm. um, otherwise, you know, you can journal and write that person letters. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. It might feel weird because you're not actually talking to yeah. them, but <laughs> yeah. think about what you would want to say. Think about right. how that has made you feel. Think about what you would want them to know and, you know, write that down and write it down over time and keep talking to that person. And then when you don't want to talk to that person anymore, you won't. And it'll help yeah. you kind of like process through it. You know, that person is still like a person in your head, even if they're not a person in real life to you. Yeah. So right. that can help you process it. I think people sometimes kind of like think that's a woo-woo weird thing to do, but I think it's yeah. like a way to kind of direct your processing towards the conversation with that person, even if you can't have that conversation. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. Okay, so this conversation, I think, brought to light a lot of things about just friendship, friendship breakups, um, and we all go through life with friendships, hopefully. Um, but I think that the one thing that people might stumble on in their friendships is actually being a good friend. So what I'd love to know, Dr. Gold, is in your professional career, but also in your personal career, where have you seen people think that they're being good friends, but they're actually not? <laughs> Great question. You can't see me laugh, but I laughed at that. I'm, you know, <laughs> I think this is probably one of the most common things I get from people. Like, how can I support an employee? How can I support yeah. a friend? 
And I think it's because nobody teaches us this. Just like nobody teaches us to have feelings and express them, nobody teaches us how to support people through them. And so it's Mm -hmm. scary because there's just like this fear that no matter what, you're going to say the wrong thing. And I don't think that's fair. I think that that doesn't happen all the time, but you need to try. I think not trying is probably worse than like an attempt and then going, wow, that didn't come out right, right? (laughs) Yeah, Um, right. You know, I think when you're talking to people, it's always better to start with bigger stuff than like a really specific thing. So with employers, I often feel that people will go, I've noticed that you're not doing work. What's up with that? Right. Right? (laughs) And so then people are like quick to shut off and be like, I'm not going to like now they think I'm bad at my job. Like, why would I tell them what's wrong with me? Like, Mm -hmm. that's not helpful. And the person, if you ask the supervisor in their head, they thought that was a really supportive thing to say to someone. But (laughs) inherently, like, you don't want to start off with some kind of blame. Like, you are not Mm. responding to my text messages. You're a bad friend, right? Right. Like, you want to start with, like, something normalizing and open-ended like uh the pandemic's been really hard for me what's it been like for you or this past week has had like a lot of stress at work how are you you know like something that's sort of like this is what I'm dealing with what are you dealing with in like a broad way not everybody's gonna take that bait and like you might have to go to like shorter statements that require yes or no answers but you want to start broader and start without like accusatory statements yeah um I also see people mess up when they jump right to advice. So mm-hmm. I think we forget that listening matters. <laughs> like right, yeah. my job is like 99% listening and I forget that listening matters. Like during the pandemic early on, like people were sad and meds weren't helping because there was still the pandemic. And I kept right. saying to my personal therapist, like what on earth? Like I'm doing nothing. I'm useless. Like people aren't yeah. getting better. And she was like, Jesse is all you do like drug people and like they feel better? Is that like all you do? And and I was like, oh, I guess not. Like they are still coming back and talking right, to me. Right, yeah. And so I had to like step back and go like meds aren't my only tool or like right. improving people immediately are not my only tool, right? right? Like yeah. being there for somebody, listening and like supporting them when they haven't been talking about this with other people is much more important than you realize. Yeah. And there's like such a huge desire to jump in and solve. And like right. yeah. they might want you to jump in and solve, but try really hard not to do it right away. If you are a person who can't do that upfront in the conversation for your own boundaries, say to your friend like, hey, when we're talking, do you want me to solve this and give you solutions or do you want me to listen? And yeah. at least that gives you some sort of boundary up front to be like, oh, they said listen, so I'm going to listen, yeah. you know? Yeah. Or they said I can give advice, so I can give advice. And it's not to say that advice doesn't have a role because I think knowing resources and supporting people through finding them and all that is really important as a friend. Yeah. But it's a time and place thing. Yeah. And a lot of times when people haven't processed it or they haven't talked about it, it feels like, somewhat invalidating if you jump right mm-hmm. to fixing yeah. right? Um, because it doesn't let them just be and it doesn't feel mm-hmm. like you know jumps right to like this must be a thing that needs mm-hmm. to be solved because it's impacting your life and I can solve it yay yeah so I yeah. think that's really important um I think like location is also important too yeah. so I think we have a strong desire to have text message and email conversations like mm-hmm. all of my patients are like Dr. Gold I do not want you guys to call me on the phone I don't like phones and <laughs> I get that however these kind of conversations should be had in person 
Right. Um, if they cannot be had in person because you are a long distance best friend, that is why they invented video chats. Right. And we used it a lot during the pandemic because right. it helped us feel closer to people and we need to turn to them for stuff like this because emotions get lost in text messages. You could say something that was really supportive and the way the person reads it is not and you don't get a chance to see their face when it lands. So you right, don't get yeah. a chance to like backtrack, right? So yeah important to have these conversations face to face in whatever way that's possible and realize that like yes you can have real conversations over text but like ideally a first conversation like this would not be and ideally you would be able to kind of see feedback to things that you say so you could kind of step in about them and with that being said I also think that sometimes when things are hard we don't say that Mm -hmm. like these conversations are hard on both sides and I think we are not as a population taught to like vocalize the awkward and the nuance. But like, if you don't know what to say, like say I'm processing what you told me. I'm struggling with really good words. Mm -hmm. I really care about you, but I don't want to say the wrong thing. Somebody's going to be like, wow, that was really kind. They're not going to go like, well, that was awkward. Why did she tell me that? Right. So sometimes vocalizing the like, weird part in your head can be really helpful to people because it prevents you from saying something that you're going to regret. Yeah. And it prevents your friend from hearing that thing and feeling hurt. But it also allows you to like kind of live in the awkward together and say like, you know, I don't actually know the right thing to say. Like sometimes like that can be really helpful for grief, right? Like I've been thinking about something really great to say, and turns out there isn't something, right? Yeah, like, exactly. That means a lot to people because they also know there isn't something that you yeah. can say that's going to make them feel better. And you acknowledging that means more than you know. So, like, don't be afraid to, like, speak the nuance and awkward out loud. Yeah, And we feel like you have to speak, like, immediately on something. Yeah. Social media did that to us. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've realized that, like, often when you speak immediately, it's not what you wanted to say or, like, it's not thought out enough. And sometimes being, like, my silence is not a lack of care. It's, like, a processing is important, you know? Dr. Jesse, this has been so great. We really appreciate all this advice, and I think that our listener will, too. Thanks for having me. Cosmo Confessions is made in collaboration with Edit Audio. I'm your host, Mia Lardier. This episode was produced by Mia Lardier, Ali Sirwa, and Maria Passingham. It was edited, mixed, and mastered by Maria Passingham. Thank you to our production manager, Kathleen Speckert, and our executive producer, Steph Colburn. As always, thank you to the whole Cosmo and Edit Audio teams for their time and input. And an extra special shout out to our guests and to you for listening. Now tell us your secrets. Link is in the show notes. Secrets, secrets are no fun unless you tell me one.